Very good. First Samuel chapter 20. We looked at last week, Jonathan has come up with a plan to find out if his dad meant good or evil for David. David will miss uh, the new moon feast. And if Saul, if he doesn't become angry because David is not there, the plan is everything is okay. David can come back to the fold, back to Saul. But if he doesn't, something else is has to happen because Saul has these fits of anger, these fits of rage. And uh, it's all because the Lord has already told him the kingdom is not yours. Two different times, God spoke to Saul and said, hey, I need you to do this. And Saul never fulfilled the obedience that is required to follow the Lord. And we will begin to see Saul go farther and further away from the Lord. He's going to wind up in a state of apostasy. But uh, we'll pick up with verse 20 of chapter 20. Sam, uh, Jonathan says, Then I will shoot three arrows to the side, as though I shot at a target. And there I will send the lad, saying, Go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come, then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you, have, which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. Because Jonathan and David had made this covenant, covenant of love, covenant of faithfulness together. And that's going to be binding. Then David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now, the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan would sit opposite of him. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. So by missing this ritual meal, if you did become unclean by touching something defiled, other things you would have to wash, and then for the next day, you couldn't come back into the fold until the previous, the following day. And so Saul is so, he's holding all of this rage inside of him because he wants to kill David. So, you know, a fool's wrath, the scripture tells us, proverb tells us, is quickly and openly known. And so Saul's doing a pretty good job the first day because he can excuse David not being there away. But things will change. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. So by this time, Saul's antenna is up. He's already paranoid, and he's just being more alert that something is wrong here. And he's, so he's big time spacing, spazzing out because things aren't going his way because Truly, he's wanting to kill David at this time. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? And when he says sons of Jesse, 
he uses these words as contempt because you would never call anyone by their father's name like this. So he means it as, as something of contempt. He's speaking toward him. So Jonathan answers Saul. And this is when Jonathan drops this lie that him and David has contrived. And from the beginning of this lie, everything else goes south. That's usually the way lies work. Either from the beginning of the lie or sooner down the road, it happens. So Jonathan answers Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother And he says he was supposed to say my dad, but the only reason I believe Jonathan changed it to my brother is because three of of, uh, David's brothers were in the military. So if he said his brothers, it wouldn't be such a death blow for Saul, but it, it won't matter. And my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brother's. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. So Jonathan must be a poor liar because at this point, once again, Saul is so critical. He's so paranoid of things that's going on around him. He's suspicious of everything. And right at this lie, his antenna rises. He knows something is wrong. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Whatever is inside of us at the right moment when the temperature of the atmosphere is right, sooner or later it will come out. And everything is conducive to the rage, to the anger that Saul has. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 35. It says this. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sooner or later, it will. People usually say, hey, when when someone is drunk, the truth comes out. That's kind of half right because you're more bold and you don't care what you're saying at the time. That's one way to do it. But sooner or later, what's in you will come out. Jesus says, a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth evil things. So when he says, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, that's the lowest thing Saul could have spoke to his son, because what he's saying is, I don't know who your mother is. You cannot be my son because you're not in league with me. He's saying his mom is a prostitute. She does not follow the law of Moses, and she practices perversion. All of that in that verse there. Only because Jonathan would not side with his corrupt, with his rebellious, with his lawless dad. David was on the side of the Lord, and Jonathan was too. He says, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? And that's Saul's rationale. It was really for the Lord. Jonathan has chosen the Lord's side, not so much David's side, but the Lord's side. And to the shame of your mother's nakedness, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, 
nor your kingdom. It would have never been established because it's not going to go through his lineage anymore. Now, therefore, sin and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Saul, once again, is fighting for something he will never receive. What he's really doing, he's fighting against God, and he will never win fighting against God. Saul is in a spiritually declined mode. We will find out in chapter 22, that will be the last time I feel in chapter 22, the Lord truly departs from Saul and he's in a state of apostasy because God has been speaking truth over and over again to Saul. So what if your house would not reign forever to be king. So what if he says, now I'm going to take, sit you down as king. That was the second thing he did with the Amalekites. He still could have went to heaven. That's what matters. The, the, not the here and the now, but the then and the eternal. That's what matters. But it did not matter to Saul. He was worried about the here and now. That's why he's fighting, doing everything he can to be king in this world. It doesn't matter who's king, president, or whatever else in this world. What matters is the next. Hebrews 12, 12 through 13 says this, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. What he says now Put your big boy pants on. Whenever we're walking in a crooked way, a dysfunctional way from the Lord, God is saying here, whatever it takes, you need to get right back in line with the chief cornerstone. You're out of the way. If you ever break a bone or anything, they have to set that bone. Because if you don't set that bone, it will grow the wrong way. And that's what he's saying. We all get off course sometimes, but he's saying we must go back and get squared by the word of God, keep our eyes on the chief cornerstone, and we'll be okay. But that's the way the deceitfulness of sin is. Once we embrace sin like Saul is doing now, it becomes easier and easier to go down that road. Romans chapter 2 verse 5 through 9 tells us this, Because once again, God has been merciful to Saul, but Saul is rebelling. Or do you not, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent or your unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath. In the day of wrath, that's what's going to happen to Saul, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those by patient continuance in doing good. We'll be talking about this Sunday, the perseverance of the saints. People don't say that too much in in churches. I live by the motto of I'm living to be saved because it's a day by day by day process. 
That's what we'll look at Sunday. And that's why he says, by patience, continuance in, in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, Saul, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Verse 32. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him. I'd hate to be Saul's son. Almost bad as one of Herod's children. Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. So he begins to fast, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. I commend Jonathan for not looking at the things that are seen, but he's looking at the things that are unseen. Because once again, Jonathan has to bow to God's will. Of course, Jonathan wanted to be king. He was the crown prince. But he gives all of those things up, not for David's sake, but for God's sake. Are we willing to do that? When we want something and we're running after this and that, things of the world that disappears, we have to learn to say, not my will, but your will be done. I like what Moses, the Hebrew speaks about Moses. He says this, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Put that on your refrigerator door. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So Jonathan chose wisely. He, he chose the covenant of God, God's faithfulness, rather than his father's seeking something that he would never receive. Saul was self-centered. He was grasping after personal ambition, which is never good. Luke 14, 26, 27 tells us this. If Jesus speaking, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, his own life also, and compared to your love for me, that's what he's speaking of, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 35, and so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. Then he said to his lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad, so Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, go carry them to the city. As soon as the lad had gone, 
David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. Look at the heart of this king. Look at the humility of this man. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. Once again, Jonathan is old enough to be David's dad. But Jonathan bows down to the will of the Lord. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. We've made this covenant. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Jonathan will see David once more. But what a remarkable statement here. Go in peace. There's going to be conflict. There will be a war. David will be an outcast. He will be a fugitive for about 10 to 12 years, running in the caves of Adullam, going from one place to another, nowhere to lay his head. And Jonathan tells him to go in peace. And the reason Jonathan said, go in peace, and the reason David can say, you're right, I will go in peace, is because, once again, this covenant of love. No matter what happens, David and Jonathan has this covenant that's binding together. So no no matter what happens, they're going to be okay. We have a covenant with Jesus Christ. He's promised to protect us. He's promised to keep us. He he has his seal of the Holy Spirit on us. So we're going to make our destination. The only issue is we don't know how rough the trip will be. Sometimes we can make the the trip rough on ourselves. And sometimes that's our poema, the road we must walk to go to the kingdom. But the issue is we know we're going to get there. We have a covenant with Jesus Christ. Acts 16.31 says this. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Through faith in Christ's blood, we are forgiven of our sins. We are justified with God. His covenant promises are secure for us. My dad used to say, I have an anchor that holds behind the veil. Now I know what he's speaking of, no matter what. My hope, my anchor is in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 tells us this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So to Jonathan, it does not matter the circumstances or the situations that might come his way. Whether it's the pull of sin from his dad Saul trying to make him do things that are not just. He knows that he will have peace as long as he walks with the Lord, as long as he keeps his eyes on the Lord, no matter the circumstances. I love Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I find out as long as my eyes are fixed on my Savior, my Lord, my King, No matter what's happening, I can have peace. No matter if someone has did me wrong, no matter if I think someone has done me wrong, no matter the circumstances, if I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, 
I have that peace that surpasses all understanding. It's when I let fear come in that my faith and my peace begins to be shaken. And we'll see that in the next chapter, David will flee to Nob. In the beginning, once again, of that 10 to 12 year of exile. But God, during, during this time of exile, God will be sharpening him. God will be equipping him to rule and reign and be a great king in Israel. Jeremiah 12, 5, because I liken this to David, not only to David, but for every believer. Jeremiah says, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, Victor, because I'm I'm quick to scream, then how can you contend with horses? By now, you should be eating solid food, but I still have to give you milk. By now, I should be more mature when trials and tribulations come, but yet I waver back and forth. And he goes on to say, and if in the land of peace, which you trusted, they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? Once again, God is saying, put your big boy pants on. I'm about to take you through a... a, a, Seminary. I'm about to take you through trials and tribulations, but you will come out on the other side fit to rule and reign. So it says, now David came to Nob. Nob is about three miles south of Gibeah, and that's where Saul lives. Uh, Gibeah was where the Ark of the Covenant was at the time, and it was still in the house of Abinadab. Now David came to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest, Ahimelech was the great-grandson of Eli. Remember what God told Eli because he wouldn't discipline his sons? I'm going to cut your whole line off. We will see in chapter 22 that's going to happen, just like the word of the Lord says. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David. So he meets David. David comes alone. He might have two or three men with him, but he comes there. Ahimelech sees him, and Ahimelech is fearful because Ahimelech has probably heard words that Saul is after David. Saul is trying to kill David, and you don't need to be around him. So his his hands is sweating. He's all nervous, and he says, and said to him, speaking to David, why are you alone? And no one is with you. Because usually a high official of David's rank would have an entourage with him. But he's, he's there alone. So David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. So I've got men hiding out. I've come to you. I'm on, I'm on a business excursion by Saul. David lied in chapter 20, verse 6, when he says, this is the plan we're going to make. He lied right there. He's lying again. And all of these falsehoods shows me that faith is not reigning anymore, but fear is. And he's crumbling under this pressure. 
because Saul is after him to kill him. Now, therefore, what have you on, on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. At this time, because Israel was truly lukewarm with Yahweh God, that they were not bringing their tithes and offering the way they should have been doing to the tabernacle. That's one issue. So when he says here we only have this showbread, which was the bread of presence that they would put every day, 12 loaves for the tribe of Israel, he says this is only the only thing we have, but we've just replaced them with the new bread. That's what he's saying. But there is, but there is holy bread, but this is the reason. He says this is the only stipulation. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women, they have not been intimate with their wives, Then David answered the priest and said to him, truly, now David doesn't know this because they're a ragtag bunch of men. They've just gotten together. So he he doesn't know what these men have, have been doing. So it's getting easier and easier to lie. Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, their body, and the bread is in effect holy because we're holy, even though it was consecrated in the vessels this day. So he's saying, it's okay, we've, we've done that, so we should be able to receive the bread. Verse 6, so the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from, taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Jesus speaks of this episode when Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain field and they gather the grain and blow away the chaff and they would eat the grain. Well, I guess the Sadducees and the Pharisees were hiding in the grain because they'd pop up and they say, hey, you guys are working on the Sabbath day. And then Jesus tells them, uh, Matthew 12, 3 through 4, he says this, have you not read what David did when he was hungry. And I'm amazed. I'm so glad Jesus is like this. He never, if you are in Christ, he never brings up your sin. He didn't say, yeah, David lied here and David lied there. He doesn't see that. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only the priests. David did not override the law. He didn't supersede the law. God is compassionate. He cares about the individual And that's what Jesus is speaking of here. Matthew 12, 7, quoting from Hosea 6, 6, 6, it says this. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy. That's our Savior. And not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the guiltless. Jesus has told them time and time again 
the Sabbath day was made for man. And that's what he means by that. So it's okay. He's hungry. He needs food. They need food. So let them eat. Verse 7. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. Somebody needs to make a movie of this verse. Just this whole section, I can just see, because I like action movies. I like uh, some of the movies, 300, Gladiator. That's the kind of guy I am. I like those types of movies. So I can just see this dog standing there, big, strong dude, and this scene taking place because David will say, I knew I should have got rid of dog right there. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. Why was he detained? Had he did something and they're keeping him there for a while? We don't know because we'll find out. Well, right here, he's an Edomite. And his name was Doig, an Edomite, the chief. That word chief means he was mighty. It could mean he was a violent man or an obstinate man of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, is there not here... On hand a spear or a sword, for I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. He's getting used to these lies. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. This is the same David who said when he put on Saul's armor that I can't walk, I can't move, I don't need this because I'm going out in faith. And now he says there's nothing like this sword of of Goliath. He puts his confidence in this sword instead of putting his confidence in the Lord. Remember, he defeated Goliath with a slingshot. But now fear is taking over faith. And that's why God has, has to bring him to a place that he comes back to him. He says, there is none like that. Give it to me. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Of all the places he could have went, he goes to Philistine territory. Not only does he go to Philistine territory, he has Goliath's sword, and they're probably saying, I know that sword. So he's, he's, he's twisted right now. And the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Not yet, but he's on his way there. It seems they have more faith in him than he does. Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. We make rash decisions when we don't go to the Lord in prayer first. And that's what he's doing here. So he changed his behavior before them pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. I wonder, do we ever change our behavior? We act one way at home, but we got to go to church. So once we open that door, 
we begin to act another way. We change our behavior. And then it's like as if we get home, we like to relax and we say we can be ourselves. But that's still changing of behavior. I wonder, do we change our behavior at school or at work or when we are alone as if God doesn't see and God doesn't hear? That's what David is doing. He changed his behavior to act just like the unbelievers here. He wasn't concerned about God. He wasn't putting his hope and his trust in God. The Bible says, hope makes not a shame. And all of the times I can think back that I've been ashamed, it's always been a time when I lost hope. I've waited. I've waited. I'm holding on. I'm holding on. Lord, I trust you. You didn't come when I thought you were going to come. And so I changed my behavior. Hope makes not a shame. shame. And when we hope in the Lord, no matter what we're going through, no matter what storms we go through, no matter what trials we may go to, God will show himself strong. So we don't need to do that. We can trust in the Lord. Verse 14, then Achis said to his servants, look, you see the man is insane, so he must have really been acting a fool. Why have you brought him to me? And this is comical right here. Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And they they said it was coming. They had a saying uh, that if someone was lunatic, if someone was crazy, bad luck luck will come your way if you killed them. So maybe that's why he was doing that. In these 10 to 12 years, David will write about 20 different psalms of his trials and of his suffering. And Psalms 34, he speaks of his fear here. And it says in verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. The angel, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. And delivers them. So we can, the pendulum can swing one of two ways. Either we can fear man, and the Apostle Paul says the fear of man brings a snare, or we can fear God and honor him and reverence him, knowing that he has what's best for us. Jesus puts it this way, paraphrasing, he says, I just want you to obey me. I just want you to serve me. You can obey me out of fear, and I really don't want you to follow me out of fear, or you can obey me out of love. But we should reverence the Lord. And anytime we're fearful of man, it most definitely brings a snare. And then he speaks of being delivered from all his troubles. He says in verse 6, this poor man cried out, And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I'm sure when he was fleeing, when he finally left Gath, he might have went into the cave of Adullam and began to write these. He says in verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them 
out of all their troubles. That's a promise. Either he will deliver his children out of all our troubles on this planet, or he will take us home and deliver us from all our troubles. Either one's fine with me, but he's faithful and his word is sure. And then he says in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's a promise. He will do this. He begins to speak in Psalms 56 about the slanderous tongues, the slanderous of tax, of what people are saying about him. He says in verse 10, in God, I, I will praise his word. In Yahweh, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? If only we live by that. What can man do? They may talk evil against us. They may slander us. They may do all of those things, but God has us. He says in verse 12, vows made to you are binding upon me. O God, I will render praises to you. We know the Lord inhabits our praises. David is in the cave of Adullam. Saul is chasing him. And he says, soul, praise the Lord. Even when we don't want to at times, even when it seems bleak at times, I promise you, if you begin to praise the Lord, you will feel much better after you've done that. And then in Psalms 34, he speaks of while he was fleeing, how he was praying. And he says in verse 17, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, through 22, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, a contrite heart, a heart that is pliable, a heart that listens to the Lord, a heart that will receive his word and then obey his word. That's what he's saying here. And save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Jesus says this on the cross. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. David learned, and he will learn, that if he just trusts the Lord, no matter what comes his way, everything is going to be fine. The Lord was merciful to David to allow him to get back, to come back from Gath. And now David, as we will find out in chapter 22, he will begin to seek the Lord. He will begin to yield to the Lord. He will begin to obey the Lord once again. And you will see his confidence begin to arise more and more because his confidence, once again, is in the Lord. Jesus put it this way, in this life, we will have tribulation. I don't know why I act when things go south as if I'm surprised. I shouldn't. We shouldn't. Once again, we should expect those things. We should count the good days, and I guarantee you we have more good than bad. So we need to understand when trials do come, no need to be fearful. What we need to do is draw close to the Lord and rest 
in him. I was speaking to a lady probably about two or three Sundays ago, and she was telling me that when Jesus and his disciples were in the boat, instead of waking Jesus up, she said, I would have went beside him and laid beside him. And that's very telling. That's what we should do. Instead of saying, wake up, God, I'm perishing. Wake up, God, do you see the predicament that I'm in? Wake up, God, do you care? That's what Peter says. Peter said, do you care that we perish when all we truly have to do is cuddle up close to him? He's resting. He's in perfect peace. And as long as we're with him, We can have that same peace. So remember those things. Continue to pray for Good Friday service. Continue to pray for Resurrection Sunday. Continue to pray that we will do and be everything the Lord wants us to be here at Calvary Restore. Continue to pray for those that are sick, that are not doing well. Lift them up in prayer. Let us be a praying people because nothing is done except by prayer. Let's pray. Father, Your word is true. Your word is alive. Your word is trustworthy. May we learn to bow our hearts to your word, no matter the circumstances. Let us not go by things that are seen, but things that are unseen, Father God. Let us not live for the here and now, but the then and the eternal. Let us not get bogged down by the things of the world, which is going to be destroyed by fire, which is going to be shaken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But let us hold on to Jesus Christ, the eternal God, the one who loves us more than anyone, the one who cares for us more than anyone. Holy Spirit, would you move in the lives of people that restore, Father. May we have a deeper love for you. Give us hearts to be everything that you've called us to be, Father God. Lord, we need you. Give us grace to seek your face more, Father, and we'll be sure to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor, Lord. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.